mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? In your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be beginning in verse 13. We're talking about sanctification, sanctification, to be consecrated, to be set apart, to do the work of the ministry of reconciliation for God. Salvation, three parts. It's a race. We're running to win. Christ has already run it for us. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. However, you and I, we begin to run this race from a position of believing that we're sinners, believing in the blood of Jesus that atones for the sins of the whole world. I mean, really, that makes sense. I had one guy that come to church, and he goes, Greg, I understand Jesus, and I understand what's going on here, and I've given my life, but what in the world does a bunch of barn animals have to do with Jesus? And he was, of course, referring to the Old Testament, where they would kill animals, and it was a covering, a kofar in the Hebrew, that covered the sins until the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Then the priest would kill an animal for himself, kill an animal for the nation, and confess all the sins of the nation upon it. The blood was always just a covering, though. It was a pre-type of Christ coming, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that Christ would come, and he would willingly go to the cross and spill his blood to atone for us, to make us at one with him. It's an atonement. What's the point? Are you covered in the precious blood of Jesus? See, the Old Testament has great examples. The Old Testament is the foundation of everything we're doing today. We can't get rid of it. You need to know the whole book. 66 books by 40 authors. The start of the race is believing in that blood. Believe means to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. In this case, it's God's provision for the sin nature. It's the blood of Jesus. He always talked about him coming. This, this didn't just happen out of the blue. I got an idea. God planned this before we were ever born. Before you were ever in your mother's womb, he knew you. And he anointed you and appointed you for the gifts and talents and abilities that you have in the body of Christ. There's life in the blood and there's life nowhere else. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. And there's no other name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved. Are you covered in the precious blood of Jesus? And if you say yes, that's the beginning of the race. To believe 
Then to have faith and continue to believe is a different word. That one was pistio, this one's pistiu. It's, it's to a constancy in that faith. It's not a one time I said a prayer, one time I believe. The demons believe and tremble, but it's a continuing. It's an abiding. It's a remaining in the vine. An apple cannot just be budded on the tree and then fall off and grow. It has to stay there to become a ripe, delicious apple. It has to stay just like the grape in the vine. Stay attached to Christ with a constancy, always looking to God to be sovereign in your life, to be in control of your life, to be the wisdom of your life, to be the hope of your life, the one who's coming back to take you home and to uh, finish His fulfilled promise or fulfill His finished promise. Listen to me. Why am I telling you that? Because in order to be sanctified, you can't just say a prayer. Show it to me in the Bible, and I'll believe you. You believe in Him, and then you choose your own volition to go with him, to follow him, to put on the mind of Christ is how he put it here. Peter did in verse 8. He told us all to put on the mind of Christ. See, if we all walk around in our own individuality, all of us with our own plans and ideas and aspirations, American dream, then we all end up in the wrong place. If you don't put Christ before your own plans and aspirations. We should teach our little children to be what Christ created them to be, not, what do you want to be when you grow up, little Johnny? No, just make it up, Johnny. We'll figure it out. We'll get a class for you, and we'll teach you how to do that. We should teach them to ask God, what did you create me for? Why did you give me life for? What is my purpose in the body of Christ? Because this is a testing ground. This is not our home. We're pilgrims here. We're mere passerbyers. We're aliens. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to learn what's going on in heaven. What are godly rules? What are righteousness? What is morality? How do we live in a heavenly place? How can we be ambassadors down here for a God that we don't put on his mind? You want to know the mind of God? Here it is, 66 books, 40 authors. He spoke and the worlds were formed. He sent his word to heal the land. Jesus comes down as an example of the heart of God and the mind of God. All he did was spoke of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What's on God's mind? You. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his most prized possession. If anyone would believe, Pistio, put your trust in him, you would not perish. Die, death, eternity, not just physically, spiritually. Because why? We're spirits with a body, an earthly tent right now. That spirit's going to live somewhere else. We're not bodies that just happens to have a spirit. We're spirits that's come down here for a testing period to have a body to decide whether we're going to follow God or reject God and say no to him. And whosoever believed that will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. It's not quantity. It's quality. Listen, this eternal life is talking about quality. Everybody's eternal. Every spirit is going to live somewhere, either with God or separated. We're talking about the quality of that life. 
forever cast into hell, forever thinking about the fact that you purposely, of an act of your volition, said no to God, and you could have had this great gift of life, or forever worshiping in His presence. It's quality, not quantity. And you can begin to enjoy that now. But it can't be just what we do in culturanity, following death culture a little bit further behind it, as the Pharisees did. They traveled land and sea to find one person who would go, I like what you're talking about, and then they would teach them lies and make them twice the sons of hell that they ever was. See, it's not a new thing. The devil's been doing this same thing. And God's people ought not to follow that. When we have the instruction, we have the mind of Christ, we can put it on. We can get into the word, prayer, and fellowship, and we can say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The word of God and my soul is more important than my job, than my house, than my place in society. See, my place in heavenly places is more important than anything down here. And in fact, I'm going to tell you that in my heart, your place is more important than my place down here. That's what Paul said in chapter 10, that he would give his own life if he could win his brethren to Christ. But it's not possible. It's an act of your volition. It's an act of your will. It's your free will choice. But we should live of the mind of Christ that would lay down his life to win everyone back to the Father, into His family. That's the mind of Christ. It's God's will that none... Get a calculator out, somebody. How much is none? Let's see. Not plus not equals not. None. It's God's will that none would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is God's will. He did not create anybody on this planet that is not capable of coming to Him And then being sanctified, set apart to do the work of the ministry. He equips. He's the one that gives life. He's the one that knows what you were created for and how to empower you to do it. Now, see, I, I hate to use that word. I don't know if you know it, but the death culture uses that word empowerment. And they use it wrongly. So you have to understand that we're walking in heavenly wisdom. The wisdom that's from above, that's peaceful It's gentle. It's willing to yield. Not earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom that that is, is divisive. And it's only looking out for self. And it only wants to have power over you. But we live as citizens of heaven behind enemy lines where there's a whole lot of bullets being fired. And they're really just speculation. They're really just lies. They're really just traditions of this world. They're really just all these other things that don't line up with the mind of Christ. And they're being thrown at you, and they're being hurled at you, and they're being kicked in your front door, and they, and they mail them in the newspaper, and they bring them to the TV, and they want you to follow the mind of the world, the mind of the devil, the mind of the earthly, central demonic wisdom instead of the mind of Christ. So we have a choice to make. Am I going to listen to the Word of God and believe the Word of God and put it first and know that God is sovereign over all things? Or am I going to continue to be fed by this world who's feeding my flesh? 
earthly central demonic wisdom, listen to me, it's good. You go, whoa, that's good. I like that because it feeds your flesh. But there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. Well, how do we defeat the flesh? You have to walk in the spirit and then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul tells us in Galatians. You have to begin to say, Holy Spirit, I need your power. I need your eyes. I need your direction. I need you to guide me. I'm one of the children of God now. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Romans 8, 14. Everything about you now with eyes open, if you believe in Jesus, is a spiritual realm. It's no longer physical. So why would we use physical, earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom to direct our lives, to direct our children, to direct the people around us? God has given us his mind. He's given us his only begotten son. He's given us his heart. And he says here in 3.10, He who would love life and see good days, blessed days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. What is he talking about there? See, listen, he's actually saying, if you dig a little deeper, guys, you'll see, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in order to deal with the, the outside words coming out, are you looking at the words coming out of my mouth? You ever heard somebody say that? Listen, they come from the heart. The overflow of the heart. So you have to begin to work on the inside. And that can only be done through the spiritual surgery of this great physician who has given his word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It cuts away. It makes new. It, it, and you have to decide, am I going to obey it? Or am I going to reject it? When you reject it, you refuse the surgery. You refuse the consecration. You refuse to be conformed into the image of Christ. When you say no to the word of God, you're saying no to God and his work in you. Of making, him more, making you more like him and being involved in that ministry of reconciliation. Listen, it's the middle of the race. If you believe... That's the, the starting pistol. I'm ready to run. What do I do now? Like a little child that's ready to run. Think about it really carefully because God uses perfect analogies in the Bible. A little child, they're, they're walking now. And then they fall down. We don't go, stupid kid, get up. But we help them learn to walk. And we take films of it. And we say, look, little Johnny's walking. And then when they start to run and they fall down. And we teach them how to run better. See, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing with one another, is helping one another. So that comes from the heart. What is my heart focused on? Where is my heart following? Where is my heart going? What is my heart doing? Is it putting on the mind of Christ? Is it concerned about the things of Christ? Is it building up the people of Christ? Or is it only worried about self? If you're only worried about self... You have to know that this is earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. I have a lady that, I don't know if I should say it or not. When I stop to get lunch every day, she works the cash register, and she's uh, like a, I guess, maybe a grandma figure. Her name is Joy. And she had a, it was funny, the other day I went in there, and she had a mask on, because where she works makes her wear a mask. And it was a Christmas mask, and I was laughing. So 
She said she did that on purpose so people would ask about it and she could talk. But her name is Joy. And I said, you know what Joy is? And she said, what? And I said, it's when you put Jesus first, then others, and then yourself, you'll have joy. If you put yourself first, you're going to be miserable. If you, try, if you go around looking for people to serve you, you're always going to be miserable. But if you begin to try to serve others, you're never going to be out of a job. If you begin to lay your life down, you're never, going to, you're, you're never going to find, oh, wow, what do I do today? There's always going to be somebody to give yourself away to. And it starts in your house. It starts with your spouse. It starts with your children. It starts with your own life to lay it down for them. But then to encourage them, let's do it together. Let's lay down our lives together. Let's be a witness of Christ together because that's what the church is, is a marriage. We're married to Christ and we're doing this together. And the reason we have so much divorce even in church is because we're separated from Christ. We're separated from the mind of Christ. We're separated from the word of God. We're separated from the spirit of God. We've walked away from it's called the apostasy. I know I, I did this in Friday night Bible study, but I just need to make a I just need to make this clear to you. When I say apostasy, I'm not talking about a bunch of people losing their salvation. I'm talking about an entire system, which I call culturanity, that has walked away from the Word of God and the Spirit of God and faith in God, yet they still have a church. Yet they still say, well, look, we believe in Jesus. But they're doing nothing with the mind of Christ. They're doing nothing by the Spirit of God. They're only doing it with budgets and buildings and business. And it looks like church. But Jesus said, when I come, will I even find faith? The Bible calls it a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. It's a good thing that, listen, a good thing that we have the position, right? Right? It's a good thing we're saved by belief alone in the blood of Jesus. But I personally believe that if you believe in Jesus, you will desire to be like him. Because the Holy Spirit comes in and seals you. And then takes everything that Jesus has done. He begins to open your eyes to see it. And he says, you want to be like that? You want to do that? You want to get involved in that? You want to be who you were created to be? And believe me, there's lots of stumbling and there's lots of times where you go, just forget it, Lord. Take me home. Just take me home. End it all. See, you guys are lucky I'm not God. Bunch of rebellious, stiff-necked mule people. But see, God's long-suffering. With each one of us. Individually and then all at the same time. But believe me, his judgment does come. A loving God is not just loving, and he can't be just unless he, I mean, he can't be loving unless he gives justice. And he's bringing that justice now, that judgment now. He's bringing it on the church. He's bringing it on the world as we see it. You want to live, you want to love life? You want to see good days? Allow him to sanctify your heart and set it apart to do his work and not your work. Let him turn away from evil. This is verse 11. Turn. Turn from evil and turn to God. Turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Continue to follow. For the eyes of the Lord, it's his favor, are on the righteous. Listen. 
None righteous except for Christ. But if you believe in him, you become righteous. If you believe in him, then you need to be sanctified. You should make that choice. It's miserable to think that you're saved and then live in the world. It's plain miserable to think that you're okay and to be in the world, living like the world. Miserable. Miserable. It stinks, too. And his ears are open to their prayers. Have you been praying? He wants to hear from you. He's a loving father who wants you to talk to him. Talk to him. Reason with him. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. He just says, come to me. He's longing. Longing to pour out his grace and blessings upon us. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What have you been doing? Listen, if you believe in Jesus, you're righteous. But you can still do evil. Might not be your character, but it can be what you practice. You can do evil. James says, be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So people can listen to the word of God and still do evil. Instead of doing what it says. Instead of obeying it from the heart. Instead of following close behind, it's so easy for us to be deceived into thinking that it's okay because no uh, uh, big baseball bat has reached out of heaven and smacked us in the side of the head. See, judgment will come one day for sin, even to the people who believe in Jesus, even to those who are positionally righteous. There's the Bema Seat judgment. And we keep talking about this and. I don't have any new message except to encourage you that the answers are in here and you need to get into the Word of God, prayer and fellowship, and you need to find your place and lay your life down and tell others about it. Verse 13, our text this morning, 3.13 of 1 Peter, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's pray. Father, we, we need to hear from you. We need you to shut down all of our physical faculties and that our hearts would be laid open before you, ready to receive, receive with meekness the implanted word for the continued saving of our souls. Prepare us, Lord. Send us, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 3.13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? There is a devil. There is an enemy. There is a way that seems right in a man's heart, and its way is death. 
but he can't harm you if you're in Christ's family. That's what he's saying here. That the sovereignty of God keeps all the evil effect from harming you if you begin to be a follower of what is good. So the evil is there, you see it, but it doesn't have to shake you. You don't have to respond to it in the way that the world under earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom responds. You can respond to it looking at it the way that Jesus did as he hung on the cross. He said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. How did Stephen, his martyr, he said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. He repeated the same words because he had his eyes on Jesus. If you go back there and you look at Acts chapter 8, is that right? Oh, end of 7, 755, when Stephen's being stoned to death. What does it say he did? He set his eyes upon heaven. And he seen Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And as they were stoning him, they were laying down their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. He became Paul when he got saved in chapter 9 of Acts. And he wrote three quarters of the New Testament. But his eyes, no matter what they were saying, no matter what they were doing, no matter what they were trying to harm him, he continued to look at Jesus. He continued to look at the mind of Christ. He continued to look at his salvation and know that this is not the end of it all. See, that's the reason people are so afraid of death. They think, this is it. I'll be done. The truth of the Bible is, is this is not it. This is only the beginning. This is the testing ground. This is the courtroom. This is where you decide, will the gavel come down and say guilty or not guilty because you believed in the blood of Jesus? That's that simple. And I know that's hard for some of us because we've been trained that we need to do something. So if I wish to tell you to get up and go learn to fly a plane and fly to California and you get to go to heaven, you would run right out and go to pilot school. But you can't work your way into this. Can't work, work your way out of this. All you can do is surrender to this great gift and believe in it. But if you believe, there's so much more that's going to go on when the spirit of the living God comes and seals your heart until the day of redemption. So who is it that can harm you? Greater is he that is innocent than he that's in the world. He can't Listen, here's, here's, here's what it is. Harm. It means to make evil affected, to hurt, to entreat evilly, to injure here, let's get it to some emotions. To exasperate, to vex you. Remember, Lot's, Lot was vexed by the things of Sodom and Gomorrah. Righteous Lot, he's called in the New Testament. Man, when you looked at his life, I'm like, what? Dude, you were chasing the whole world. How is he called righteous Lot? Because of his position in believing in the Messiah that was going to come. No perfect Christians. Or, or if they tell you they're a perfect Christian, don't be around them. Just run from them. Flee. There's no perfect Christians, but there should be growing Christians. There should be those that are being perfected. Who is it? This is the mindset that he wants you to have when you're putting on the mind of Christ, when you're laying down your life, when you understand your identity in righteousness because of believing in Jesus, that no one can harm you if you be King James or become, it's the same thing, it's growing in and continuing followers of what is good. Remember, Jesus said, why do you call me 
good teacher since none are good but God? Follow him, what is God? He said that to the rich young ruler that came and talked to him. Do you know what? This is a different word for follows than, than we normally see. This one here actually means imitator. Imitating. Imitating what Christ did. Well, I don't know what he did. That's your first assignment then. You need to find out what he did. He laid down his life. He gave up his prerogative to be God. He became lower than angels. Purposefully. On purpose. It was an act of his volition. It was a choice. If you read Proverbs 8, his delight was always with the sons of men. He always wanted to save us. His delight, he delights in us. He wants to have fellowship. He wants to bask his love upon us. So we want to learn to become imitators of what is good. I know our memory verse is John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen, if you want to know, is there evidence? If you want to know, am I a person who believes in Jesus Christ? Am I the sheep of his pastor? Are you imitating him? Are you in the way with him? Are you laying down your life like he did? These, these are the evidences, and only the Holy Spirit can do it. You can't go, got that in cover. Let me check it off. I'm going to lay down my life tomorrow. You have to begin to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and ask the Holy Spirit to do this surgery on you. And then when it's time and he goes, okay, do this, you go, I don't want to do that. That's called being stiff-necked and mule-headed and resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. That's when he'll put a bit in your mouth and yank you around like we do horses. He might. He tricked me into coming to Attica. That's not anything against Attica or Williamsport. I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on any people. Me. I was stiff-necked. I was comfortable, complacent, content. I was really happy where I was at. So I just filled the pulpit for another pastor, thinking that this will be over soon. I built this pulpit for him when he came back. He tricked me. He said, that's, that's not his. That's yours. I know. I got a whole bunch of Christians that get mad at me and goes, God doesn't trick people. Yeah, he does. Because he loves you. He wants to put you in the right place. He wants you to get there. He'll use whatever means that are necessary to get you where he wants you to be. And it all works out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. They can't harm you. See, see we, we run around in fear. Worried about their trouble, worried about their lies, worried about their earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. They can't hurt you. You're safe. That's what salvation is. You're delivered back to the Father's family. You're safe in the Beloved. You have a heavenly hope. If they kill you, whoopee! Oh yeah, it might hurt a little. I mean, it's according to how they do it. You know, if they hang you up like Muslims are doing and gut you like they do a cow over here, that'd be pretty bad. I know it's graphic too, but I don't want you to think that Muslims are nice people worshiping a God that loves you. Allah is a false moon God. It's important that we say that every once in a while. God's a God of love who laid down his life. He's not asking you to do anything that he didn't do first. But nobody can harm you. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, that's the finish line. Did I mention that? Believing is the starting line. 
Sanctification, getting involved and allowing the Holy Spirit to change you is the middle of the race. And glorification with Him forever for eternity is the finish line. So how can they hurt you? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ. Everything about Christ, telling others, living for Christ. But to die is gain, Paul said. What? You gain? Yes, it's the end of your salvation. You're forever there. And no one can ever touch you again. Once you cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. He's already paid for it. He already sees it. They cannot harm you. This is what, this is what the saints need to know. Besides for the rest of the 66 books and the rest of the words on the pages. Nobody can harm you. If you trust God, if you get this eternal perspective, if you understand that he's sovereign. No, he didn't want that to happen, but he allowed it to happen because of choices you made. And now you might reap something because of it, but nobody can harm your eternal salvation. Nobody can harm you if you become imitators of Christ. I think that's the evidence of someone who believes And that evidence should become the testimony of the witness who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit so that others will know that there's a living and true God. If you become followers of what is good. Now this is taught in the Bible. Most people don't see it, don't understand it. But look at Proverbs 1. Uh, that's the Old Testament. Proverbs 1, Bible on 6. Today is the 6th. I read through the Proverbs, try to, every day for that day. There's 31 of them. Proverbs 1, verse 20. I just want to read this. I want you to understand God is sovereign. The problem with saints are, the problem with the church, am I saying problem? We don't trust God. We think God is doing what the devil tried to tell Job. We think God is doing what the devil told Eve. Think about this for a minute. Eve is standing in the garden listening to the devil. And the devil's not saying, hey, Eve, you get to eat from all those trees. The devil is saying, hey, Eve, God's holding out on you this one tree. Thousands and thousands and thousands of things that she can do. One thing she can't do. And where's the focus that the devil wants to bring? And she takes her eyes off of God's privilege and what she gets to do. And she begins to pursue with her heart the one thing she's not supposed to do. That's how the devil wins. That's how he causes you to harm yourself. He can't do nothing to you except come in and usurp your authority to your soul. He comes in and lies to you and gets you to believe his lie. And then you turn from God instead of turning to God and keeping your eyes fixed upon him. Look at this. Wisdom calls aloud outside. Heavenly wisdom. Christ is heavenly wisdom. Look in Proverbs 8. She raises her voice. In the open squares, the marketplaces, she cries out in the chief concourses. Wisdom is there every place. It's a witness to everybody at the openings of the gate of the city. That's where rulings are made. Judges would set. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? 
for scorners delight in their scorning. I like my own wisdom. I like to just scorn stuff. I delight in my own scorning. And fools hate knowledge. Fools hate to know. The fool has said in his heart, no to God. They hate the knowledge of this wisdom. And he says this, turn at my rebuke. Turn to God. Turn from the lie. Turn from looking where the devil wants you to look and set your eyes on Jesus. Surely, what will he do? Look, turn at my rebuke. Repent, and I will pour out my spirit on you. Should be capital. I will make my words known to you. He'll reveal, uncover, declare what he's doing, what he's done, what he's going to do. But notice what happens with most, the fool who hates knowledge. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded, none righteous, no, not one. Because you disdain all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Listen, everything going on in life can be a rebuke. Proverbs 6.23. Is that right? Proverbs 6.23. The word is a lamp and the law is a light. Rebukes of correction is the way of life. Everything going on is trying to correct you if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Everything going on is just getting you to look to God and be corrected in the direction that you're going so you'll listen to his counsel and his wisdom. Uh, 126, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. The Bible tells us in Galatians 6 that if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. So if your choices are to listen to the lie, listen to the world, listen to the... Listen, you're going to reap it. You're planting Earthly, central, demonic wisdom, guess what you're going to have at the end of it? Earthly, central, demonic wisdom. If you're following the wrong direction and saying no to God's knowledge, God's word, God's truth, you're going to end up with death culture. Verse 28, then they will call on me. See, this is what happened. Oh, they'll call now. I'm at the end of my rope. Foxhole Foxhole Christianity. Only when you have nowhere else to go. Then they will call on me. But I will not answer. No favor now. Then they will seek me diligently, which is what we're called to do, but they will not find me because they hated. They said no to knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Listen, that's this is what we have to choose, people. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of this wisdom. And what we do is we we look at other things and we're afraid of it. We have terror because of that. And you can, you, can, you can actually see it in our culture today because when you look at what's going on in, in the COVID, there's just a, just, just, this is just the one that's going on right now. Oh, oh, wait a minute. And then you have uh, the racism. Oh, that's just the one that's going No, no, no. And then you have the, and they all make you afraid to be who you are in Christ and be a witness for God, and you fear what might happen with your peers and with all everything else instead of fearing God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Instead of fearing God and being a witness, we fear what somebody else here might say about us, and we don't declare the truth. See, they create COVID on purpose to bring people into terror and fear so they can control you and then they can set up new parameters and new dictates of what you're going to do in life and how you're going to follow them. 
But see, my parameters are already set. Mine have firm foundation. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a child of God. And he wants to wipe away all of our fears of other things by helping us to understand that he's sovereign. And no one can harm us unless we believe a lie. Unless we follow the world. We need to make the choice to choose the fear of the Lord. Look at 30. They would have none of my counsel said no to God and despise my every rebuke. He's trying to get us to turn. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. I want to eat the fruit. I want to eat the bread of life. He's the way that I don't want to eat the fruit of my own way. Listen, I, I know my way. I know my heart. Listen to me. Think about this in your life. Do you want to really have your way? Your way is death. Your way is selfish. Your way is not God's way. He's altogether different. We have to say, Lord, here I am. I confess. I agree. My way stinks. And be filled to the full with their own fancies. Given away to a debased mind. For the turning away of the simple will kill them, slay them, death culture. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. That's why I say God tricked me. I was complacent. I was content. I was happy where I was at. I thought I would retire there. White rockers on the front porch. Listen, I'm serious. And God shook me out of my complacency. He shook me out of the place where I was at so I don't destroy myself. That's why retirement's not in the Bible. How do you retire when you're a soldier in the army of the living God? Now, you can actually retire from your position, but you've got to keep fighting. You can't retire from the spiritual war. The enemy will destroy you. Now, listen, verse 33, I want you to have some hope. Here's the hope. You guys are here. Where, it's verse 33. It's what I was trying to get you to. No one can harm you. But whoever listens, do you hear his voice? He knows who you are. Do you hear his voice? Whoever listens to me. Listen, are you listening for his voice? Are you listening for it? It's echoing down the corridors of time. We'll dwell safely. And we'll be secure. That's safety, that's salvation, without fear of evil. You don't have to fear evil. Without fear of evil. Their terror, their trouble, whatever they say, oh, look out, it's all going to crash, Y2K, we're going to die. Really? Are we? I thought we were born dead and we have life with Christ and we can have it more abundantly if we keep our eyes fixed upon Him. See, this is what we're learning this is what we're supposed to be growing in. This is why he wants to consecrate us and sanctify us and conform us into his image. Because we continue to think with our own wisdom, our own way, and we follow the next thing that's coming down the pike. And everything that comes down, we go, ah! instead of using it for an opportunity to be a witness of Christ. I'm never going to get through all this material that I set up. 
You can be secure without fear of evil. Listen to me. You don't have to fear them if you set your mind to right. Now, this is not something that, oh, I got it. Light popped on. Listen, it can start coming on right now. You can start raising the dimmer switch and let the light in through the word of God. You can start trusting him now. And understand that they're getting ready to come up with something else. They're always going to try to be in control of you. And listen to me. We are supposed to obey the government, but only after we're obeying God. Only after we're doing the will of God. If their governing fits into the scheme of God and His kingdom, I'll listen to them. But when their governing is outside and it's a lie, and they're going, oh, if you eat from here, you're going to be smarter. If you, if you drink this water, you'll grow bigger. I ain't listening to them because my life is hidden in Christ. So nothing can harm you if you become followers of what is good. This is what's been provided, the bread of life. The person of Christ, God himself. They can't harm us if we keep our eyes fixed upon him. Right? Can't see. They might take your vision, but you get a new body in heaven. Verse 14, 1 Peter 3, but even if you should suffer, there should be some harm, some ill effect, for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. That word means supremely blessed. Listen, if you're doing the right thing and God gives you the privilege to be a martyr and die or a martyr and suffer or a martyr and be persecuted, that's supremely blessed. There's more grace. He's preparing you for it. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. You listening? Did I lose you? Do not be afraid of their terror, nor their terrasso. I like that. See, I work on terrasso all the time. And I never knew that. I never knew this until it means to stir or agitate. And terrasso, I don't know if you know it, it's like this rock, and they keep stirring and agitating, they sink it all down in the cement, and they sand off the top of it. I was like, what? This word means terror. This word means troubled. And they called it terrasso. Why do you call it terrasso? Because we have to keep agitating and agitating it in order to get it a smooth floor. If you go on campus in West Lafayette, you see terrasso everywhere. Everybody used to have terrasso. Nobody does it anymore. I was like, that's weird. That's that word, terrasso. So instead of being troubled, instead of having terror, alarmed, or frightened when they strike at you. Now listen, common emotions, you're like, oh no, people are sick and they're dying. But when you find out it's a lie, it's a manufactured, it's something to control you and to make you do what they're saying and march in their little Pied Piper lines, you have to wake up to it and stand up against it and tell the truth. You can't go along with a lie. You can't be part of a lie and go with God. And it means you have to stand out. And you might be persecuted or suffer for righteousness, but you'll be supremely blessed when that happens. You don't have to be afraid of their threats or their trouble. Okay, let's do a couple things. We'll be here all day. Let's look at Matthew 14 first. I can't believe you try to do all this. We'll get to it. He'll tell us in a minute what we're supposed to do. Um, listen, 
It's Matthew 14. You guys know this really good. They've been ministering. They've been trying to get away. They've been trying to get some time alone with Jesus. They just fed the 5,000. They just fed the 4,000, I think. And Jesus immediately pulls them away, gets them in a boat, and says, go to the other side. Listen, you've been pulled out of the world. You've been put in the fellowship, and we're going to get to the other side. But the enemy is going to try to harm you. The enemy is going to come at you with some fear and some trouble and some terror. And he wants you to focus on it and not on what God has said that you're going to the other side. And in Jesus, he went away to pray. See, and that's what he's doing right now. He is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me as the great high priest that he is. So he goes away to the mountain to pray. And what happens in the middle of the night at the fourth watch? He comes to him walking on the water. And they're afraid and they're troubled. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't have enough time to teach this. And he says, do not be afraid. It is I. And Peter, the rock, see, this is where we get our foundation. He's the rock. He's, Peter says, if it's you, Lord, then bid me to come to you. I know he's a pebble. And Jesus is the rock. But his witness becomes the rock. Jesus said that he's the light of the world, but now you're the light of the world because you're witnessing for me. So we become like the rock as we grow. But he needs to take us through storms for us to grow as he's taking us to the other side. So the pebble or the rock where we stand, he says, bid me to come to you, Lord, if it's you. What does he do? He says, come. Peter steps on the water. He steps out. He's walking on it. He's just like Jesus at that second. Walking on water. No, he's not. He's just walking on water because God told him he could. He's having faith in his Messiah, in his Lord. What happens? As he's standing there, he looks at the storms, the trouble, the, and he becomes afraid. And he begins to sink. Because he put his eyes in the wrong place. He put his eyes on COVID. He put his eyes on the critical race theory. He put his eyes on the lies of the earthly, central, demonic wisdom of the world. And he, he gave it more concern than keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus and being a witness for the kingdom of God. An ambassador so that souls can be reconciled. And he began to sink. He began to sink. But you know what? It's verse 30. He was afraid. The wind was boisterous. You know what? There's some people making some noise out there. And if their noise don't line up with the word of God, they're just a bunch of liars. They just want to scare you with terror. As he began to sink, what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me. In everything you're doing, just remember to get your eyes fixed back on Jesus. This is the training. This is the sanctification. This is the work of the little rock becoming like the big rock. This is the work of the Holy Spirit as you go through storms and trouble. But guess what? What's it say there in the next text? Verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to land. Did they get to the other side? Yes, because everything God says is going to come true. 
He told them they were going to the other side, but they just had some storms. And he's redirecting their eyes. Where's your eyes today? Who are you following today? Who are you imitating? Are you, are, are you following the trouble, the fear? Are you following what they say is terror? Are you, your life being dictated by this world and its earthly, central, demonic wisdom? Or is it being dictated by Jesus? Just a very simple thing. Because you obey who you fear. You follow what you fear. We've talked about this so many times. Somebody runs in here. I don't know if you ever heard that. The guy runs into the church and he says, got a gun. And he's like, okay, everybody that don't really love Jesus, get out of here. And a whole bunch of people go out. And then he sits down. He goes, okay, preach, pastor. Just keep preaching. Just wanted to get rid of all the fakers. Persecution brings that. Danger brings that. It's easy to share Jesus on Sunday morning in here. It's easy to talk about Jesus right here in the chair so everybody's, oh, everybody's here to hear that. But when they're at the gas station to get gas, when you're on the job, you're at the drinking fountain, that's a hard time to open your mouth. That's why we do scripture memory verse so you can learn to open your mouth with scripture because all of your ranting and raving and making friends and talking about football teams ain't saving nobody. But when you open your mouth and say Jesus is Lord and there's salvation in no other name, now they got to deal with it. Now their conscience has to deal with it. Now they have to say, wait a minute, what did he say? And they have to deal with it. And that's all we're called to do is be a witness. But that turns a light on in people's life. I'm not responsible to save you. I'm just helping equip you with my gifts. God equips me and I try to equip you. Uh, th this is very difficult stuff. When the storms come and you're right in the middle of that storm, you need the body of Christ to remind you, it's a storm, it's a lie, it's terror. Fix your eyes on Jesus. People tell me, oh, uh, we're not going to be at church this morning. We're going through some stuff. Well, you're supposed to be in church when you're going through some stuff. God's got an answer for you. God's got some hope for you. That's why you always give him your first fruits. You're in church the first day of the week. You spend time with him the first thing in the morning before the world runs in and the storms jump on you. Oh my goodness. Go to Isaiah 8 because that's what he quoted. And we always want to know, listen, when he, when he quotes something, when you're quoting New, New Testament, quote scripture, that means they're telling you to go there and what's really going on there, right? Isaiah 8 verse 11. I'm not going to spend much time here. Or we'll be here all day. Um, again, Assyria is getting ready to invade the land. If you're reading with us in the schedule, 2 Kings 17, Assyria is invading the land. Isaiah wrote at the time of the uh, captivities. Isaiah was another prophet that, that, that was ostracized. He preached and preached and preached and nobody listened to him. No converts. Jeremiah had no converts. See, nobody wants to hear the word of God. They want to do their own thing. And that's the whole thing with our sin nature. We need to bow down to what God is saying and stop living our own way. And so a serious coming, and it's a, it's a physical testimony of what Israel did. Northern tribes were led away by Assyria first, and then the southern tribe, Judah, went away later. Listen to me. Our country's going through the same exact thing. And the church might be proud and boisterous and saying some things. The world is being taken over by foreign governments. Listen, the same way Assyria took over Israel, we have been taken over. There's no power in our government right now. 
And the church will follow because the church is now teaching critical race theory. The church is now uh, jumping on the Black Lives Matter banner. The church is now jumping on everything approving of gay marriage. Listen, there's natural law that proves that that's wrong. There's natural law that proves it's wrong. Everything that they're jumping on comes from death culture. It comes from the devil. It comes from focusing on trees that we shouldn't be looking at while we're looking at Jesus. Let's just start. I'm going to start. Oh, my goodness. Can't jump in the middle of this. It's really hard. Verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Anybody getting any clues about what that means? Judgment is coming. And he's telling this prophet who brings the true word of God, the church is supposed to be doing that, we're supposed to be the light, not to walk in the way of what everybody else is walking. Listen, not to follow. Walk is always your, how you're living. And look what he said. He said, with a strong hand, he instructed me that I should not do it. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all the people call a conspiracy, nor, here it is, this is what he's quoting, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Listen, listen, it doesn't matter if China's coming. It doesn't matter if Assyria's coming. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? See, everything else is a storm to get you to sink. Where is your eyes fixed? God's always, he uses foreign nations to come and attack his people. He did it all through the Old Testament to get them to do what? To cry out to him. But there comes a time when you cry out to him and he says, you're going to reap what you've been sowing. Does he still love us? Yes. It doesn't matter who the government down here is. It matters who's the governor on your life, who's the king of your life. Who are you afraid of? Who are you bowing down to? The Lord of hosts, verse 13, him you shall hallow, sanctify. Why am I saying this? Because the next word we're going to have for the hope that we have in 1 Peter 3 is sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart. And always be ready to give an answer to the hope which was in it within you. So our focus has to always go back to setting Christ apart, consecrating Christ, hallowing Him. Let Him be your fear. That's not the same word. It's not the same type of fear. They bring terror and trouble and try to destroy you. We're looking at a God who died to save us. So we want to revere Him. We want to focus on Him, have confidence in Him, trust in Him. Yes, we can fear God because he could cast our soul into hell if we decide because he's a just God. If we just just say, oh, I'm just going to do what I want because he's so loving. That's what the world's telling us to do right now. That's earthly, central, demonic wisdom. No, because he's a just God. He says you should also fear him. He's not the good old boy upstairs. Listen to me. He's not a good old boy upstairs. He's God almighty. In fact, we're actually told that. Next chapter over and they announce. That's, what, that's the hope that they have. Physically, they're going into Assyria. Physically, they're all going to go into captivity. They're going to be punished 70 years for not hallowing God and, and, and doing the year of Jubilee and separating and protecting the land. They didn't listen to God's provision. But he says there's hope because he says in 9.6, For unto us a child is born, Jesus is born, Unto us a son is given. God gave his only begotten son. And the government will be upon his shoulder. They're standing on him. Or he's carrying all the government. And his name will be called. His, his government. His name. 
That's what it's about. It's his will. It's his character. It's his nature. It's, his, it's what he's doing. Is he, is he your God? Now look at it because there's a comma between wonderful counselor. I know I jumped to 9-6. I raised my comma because this is all three parts of the Trinity plus El Gabor, mighty God. Watch this. He's a wonderful counselor. He's everlasting father and he's prince of peace. That's the father, son, and the Holy Spirit. But he's also El Gabor, mighty God. All three of them together is mighty God. You can't defeat him. Satan is mighty, but God is almighty. He's El Gabor. Listen, that's the hope that he's given, but he's telling them right now, guess what? You're going into captivity. Guess what? You should have obeyed. Guess what? Your whole nation's getting ready to reap what you sowed. Guess what? Here it is. Don't believe the liars. It's coming. Regardless of what you do, prepare your hearts for it. They can't harm you if you keep your eyes fixed on me. But if you try to save yourself from it, it's going to be worse. Because there's no way to save yourself from God. You throw yourself on the mercy of God. You trust in His salvation. And see, some of them will fight against it. Some of them will wrestle through it. 14, he will be, as a, oh, wait a minute, excuse me, finish 13. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Another New Testament. You know that Isaiah is quoted, it means God is, or Yah is salvation. It's quoted more than any other book in the New Testament. I think that's a true statement. He's a stone of stumbling to both the houses of Israel. Notice there's two houses, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. As a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. Do you know that many among the church is stumbling right now? Because they won't keep their eyes fixed on Jesus upon the word of God and what the word says. So they're following the world. It's culture entity, death culture. They shall fall and be broken to pieces that rock is going to fall on them and be snared and taken they'll be led away deceived and deceiving and he tells isaiah to bind up the testimony seal the law among my disciples bind it up seal it up for only my disciples those that follow me to hear to know and and i will wait on the lord who are you waiting on that's my hope. I'm waiting on the Lord. Who hides his face from the house of Jacob. Ooh, the supplanter, the deceiver. And I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. It's another name for Jerusalem too. And when they saw t- and when they say to you, seek those who, listen to here, here it is again. Let me get you back home. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? What are they telling us to do? Sorcery, pharmacia. What do you have in sorcery and pharmacia? You have mediums and you have wizards. You have those that rule over it. You have those that are the heads of it. Don't seek. We want to seek Jesus. He's our 
go-between. He's our medium. He's our salvator. The rest are liars. Shouldn't the people seek their God? Shouldn't we follow our God? Shouldn't we trust Him and know that nobody can harm us or give us any trouble or terror? I'm going to seek the living God in behalf of the living. Not dead people. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is better, it is because there is no light in them. Listen, there's no light in them. Go back and reread Revelation 18.23. No light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. This is when they look up and they cry out, and he says, nope, too late. Remember, we just read it in, in Proverbs 1. They will call to me, but I will not answer. So they're going to get mad. They're going to curse. And then they're going to say, well, let's ask. And then they're going to be looking upward to, to blame him. Not looking for salvation. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into outer darkness. But again, like I said, 9-6 is the hope. Jesus is coming back now to take the chosen home. I can only envision him even starting to stand up because the father is getting ready to tell him to go get your bride. All things are ready. I know that we're in that last moment. So what can we do? 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify, here's the answer always, the Lord God. But sanctify the Lord God. Some texts read the New Universal, Christ as Lord. See, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Sanctify the Lord, that's kurios. It means supreme in authority. In your hearts, this is where he wants it. We go astray in our hearts. Keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Proverbs 4, 23. Where are we sanctifying? Where are we hallowing him at? Where are we setting him apart at? In our hearts. And always be ready to give a defense, an answer, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Even given the gospel, we do it in meekness, in humility, in fear of God, knowing that he called us, that we're his ambassadors. We don't do it to be mean to somebody. We don't do it to cause attention to ourselves. We're always ready, though. Are you studying to show yourself approved, a workman unto God who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? Listen, are you reading the Bible? Are you sanctifying? The only way to sanctify the Lord Jesus is to make up your mind to choose that He is Lord. He's supreme in authority. He's going to be Lord of all. When He says go, I want to go. When He says stop, I want to stop. And I want to know His mind. I want to be in His Word. I want to grow so that I'll be ready when He says go. I like to tell people I still remember my very first sermon of being awake. See, some people say when they woke, they only woke to death culture. They ain't awake to God. And see, and they're going to keep trying to get, they're doing a whole bunch of good. Think about it. Listen to me. They want you to follow their good, not God's good. 
They want you to follow their moral relativism, not God's moral righteousness. They want you to follow their definition of sick and take their medium's advice on medicine. They want you to do everything according to their plumb line instead of Jesus, the actual plumb line. We have to wake up to this. Are you sanctifying? Are you setting apart? This is the same word uh, uh, that's used in what they commonly call the Lord's Prayer, where they says, uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. No, wait a minute. What is it? It is, uh, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's that word right there. Sanctified be your name. Consecrated be your name. Set apart be your name. Because name is always character, nature, and will. It's his authority in our lives. We need to sanctify him as the authority of our life. And I purposely say we because all of us need to understand what Peter's saying to us. Is he the authority of your heart? Is he doing home makeover in your heart? And are you always ready? That's a difficult one there, isn't it? Always be instant, in season and out of season. Be ready. Be a message. Be a witness. That word always also means like earnestly and forever or continued duration. And answer is where we get, it's the Greek, or the, yeah, the Greek apologia. They have the entire classification in church called the apologetics. And they're not really apologizing. They're giving a defense. As Paul did in 22.1 of Acts. Remember that when Paul was arrested. And uh, they were taking him into the uh, guard house. And he said, can I speak to them? And they said, you speak Hebrew? And he says, yeah. He says, aren't you that? And he says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a citizen of Cilicia. I am a Roman citizen. You know, and so he lets him make a defense and step up and speak and share. And he, what's he do? He says, don't beat me up. I'm a nice guy. No, when he steps up to give a defense and he gives his testimony, he actually gives a witness to everything Christ has done in his life. And see, we're supposed to be ready to do that. We're supposed to be able to share the common gospel with other people. It's like if somebody walked up to you and you said, well, I'm a baby Christian. Somebody walked up to you and said, and you know, you're in first grade at school and they say, can you say your ABCs? You can say your ABCs. Think about it. If they walk up to you and say, why do you trust in Jesus? What would you say? Can you say your ABCs? Can you give them the common gospel that I was a sinner and I was lost, I was blind, but now I see. Can you give them any answer? Now, I know the common answer is, is I tell you, if you can't answer their question, tell them, I don't know the answer. I can get it for you, or you can go to church with me, and the pastor can help us. That, that's better than no answer. But the whole purpose is, is trusting the Holy Spirit as you get in here to give you all the answers. I used to tell my mom that all the time. She'd say, how do you know how to fix that? i go, I know somebody knows all the answers. So I pray about it. I pray over it. And then God raises up somebody to help me fix it or take care of it. When you trust Him, 
He's not going to leave you out there with no net. Sanctify the Lord God. Are you sanctifying God in your heart? Are you setting him apart? Are you putting him first? Are you lying to do home makeover, consecrate you? See, that's what he wants to do. He wants you to be sanctified, but the only way for you to be sanctified is when you sanctify him. What is it, John 15, 5? I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. See, it's got to be a, 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 a co-mingling together. Sanctification and consecration. Can you give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear? Having a good conscience, verse 16, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good behavior, your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. How do you have a good conscience before God? My goodness, that's a moral righteousness. Well, we have it positionally, right? Positionally, we have it because Christ died for us and gave it to us perfectly. But practically, we're endeavoring to follow. We're endeavoring to imitate. We're endeavoring to learn and grow and not harboring sin in our hearts, not doing things that we know for a fact God said no. See, there are some things that say no trespassing. You know that the Word of God says no trespassing. Don't go there. But there's other things you go, well, I was doing this and that, and I thought it might be, but God's telling me now that maybe I should stay away from that. So there's other things that you don't know and you're searching for the will of God. But there's a whole lot of things that we already know. Just don't go there. Don't open the bag. Because you can't eat just one. It will take control of you. So a good conscience is what Paul said he always did. And he had his good conscience because he believed in God. He followed the law of God. Then he got saved. Remember he got smacked for that when he was given a defense later. The high priest told him, smack him. Because he said, I endeavored to live with a good conscience before God. Smack that guy. And he said, God will smite you, you whitewashed fence. And they said, do you speak to the high priest that way? He goes, oh, I did not know he was the high priest. Because he really wasn't. He had been placed there by Rome. He really wasn't the high priest, I don't think. Anyway, sorry, my brain went somewhere. How's your conscience? Are you confessing your sin? Are you asking God? Are you forsaking your sin? Are you turning as he said there in verse 11, from evil and doing good, looking to do good. If you keep your eyes fixed on doing the work of the ministry, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus when the trouble, the storms, the threats, when anything comes, you're still looking as God is your help, your salvator, your savior. He's your hope. No matter what, you can keep a good conscience before God. 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Notice, sometimes in the will of God, you might have to suffer for doing good. Right now, look at our world. They call evil good and good evil. It's upside down. So if we're going to say no to their moral relativeness, moral relativeness they're probably going to bring persecution upon those who follow moral righteousness, Christ, and look to do good. They're going to say, 
those people. But notice it's the will of God in both cases. Sometimes He supremely blesses people. And then next week we'll look, God willing, and He'll give us the example of the one, Christ, the one who went before us, who suffered before us for righteousness. He was righteous perfectly. And He suffered for us so that we could come to God. The just for the unjust. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes we go, well, I don't have to be a doormat. I don't have to suffer just... Yes, you do. That's simple. Yes, you do. If we want to see people come to Christ, sometimes we go through some pain, some harm, some suffering, and we trust God that He allowed it to come in our life and that we keep telling people about Jesus no matter what's going on. That's called hupotassoing. Remember that word? Ooh, you guys thought we were done with hupotasso, didn't you? That's the rest of your life. We're learning to come underneath the trials of life. We're learning to come underneath the refiner's fire. We're learning to allow him to burn out the flesh and for the spirit to come to the top and control our lives and transform us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the examples in Scripture. Thank you that you love us so much that you went before us. And you overcome for us. Thank you for taking the penalty and the power of sin. Now Lord remove the practice of sin from our life. And one day we know you're going to take us from the very presence of sin. Into your house forever. Thank you for such great mercy you have upon us. Lord give us wisdom from above. Give us your wisdom. Teach us the fear of the Lord. Teach us to reverence you. Help us to step out of the boat we're in onto the crashing waves where you're at and to walk by faith. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I